If you wouldn't mind finding your uh, special seat, we'll get going here this morning. We'll get going here this morning. I thought I was late. Look at all these latecomers. It's 10.02. All right, well, it's good to see you. Good to have you with us today, and we're expecting God to do some great and wonderful things in our service today. Uh, Pastor Tony has been on vacation, and uh, today is still one of those vacation days, so uh, he's just going to sit back and relax and just enjoy, just enjoy the, uh, the morning. A couple of announcements. Don't forget, next Sunday is going to be devoted to uh, the Bolivia missions trip. Um, and so everything's going to be relating to that. So you don't want to miss next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Please come out and support that, that trip. Also next Sunday on the 26th is our church annual picnic. Um, so if you haven't signed up already, please do. Uh, we need to have a number in order to order all of the food. And um, bring a covered dish as well. Bring a covered dish as well. Um, I think that's all the announcements I have at this time. Uh, Leonard's going to come and lead us in holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, hymn number one. Number one, and I'm going to ask you to sing the first three stanzas seated, seated, and then on the fourth, we'll stand for that and then have our greeting time. Hymn number one, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. <laughs> Make someone welcome this morning.
You know, one of the real joys of being part of a church is when you have new folks who choose to commit themselves in membership. And uh, we have a couple uh, this morning that um, the board unanimously approved to be members uh, a few weeks ago, Jeff and Rhonda Prouse. And um, Jeff is going to come and share a few things about him and his wife. Uh, some of you I know, you know them, uh, but some you may not know. They're both coming. Good. This is, this is good. This is good. So, Jeff, you share. Are you going to be the spokesman, or Ron, do you? <laughs> I, I kind of thought that's the way it was going to go. But it is so good to have you guys with us. Thank you. To be on board. You, God bless you. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, and uh, Pastor Bob said about new members, uh, we're, we're, not, we're not very new, we're pretty old, so. Uh, but um, yeah, he asked, he asked me to say a few words, and I said I'm not real good with that. Um, I usually have a lot to say. So um, um, we'll, we'll try to make, he said I had 45 minutes, so, so we'll, we'll, we'll try to keep it, keep it that or less. Um, but no, in all seriousness, uh, we, uh, we're honored to be here. We, we thank you for having us. Um, for those of you who don't know us, I am Jeff, this is Rhonda. Um, we have, we've been married for uh, almost 29 years. Uh, coming up in November, Lord willing, it will be 29 years. Um, we are both graduates of Halifax, thousands of years ago. <laughs> um, I was going to mention to uh, Mr. Kalnan, he was one of our teachers, um, but I don't see him this morning, I hope he's okay. but. Uh, Nonetheless, um, we just thank you for having us. Uh, we um, both, again, born and raised in Halifax. Um, we have two adult sons. And um, again, God has been very good to us. Um, just want to say that when we first started attending the church, we came in around the time you were doing the New Testament reading. And uh, so we did that together. Ron and I uh, took, took the time and we made it all the way through the New Testament. Um, so thank you for providing that opportunity. But I, I just want to encourage every one of you here, um, if you haven't recently, um, you know, we hear these, these, these verses and things over and over all the time in our lives. Um, but the thing that really hit me personally was Romans 5 and 6. Um, so I just want to encourage all of you, if you haven't read Romans 5 and 6 lately, I really want to encourage you to go Go into the word there and, and just review that. And, and I, w I encourage you to insert the word, while we were sinners, insert the word I, while I was a sinner. And just, you know, it, to me it became very, very personal and a good reminder of what Jesus did through us. He provided us a way out. So I just encourage you to do that. Thank you very much and uh, look forward to meeting all of you. We know a lot of you, um, but those we don't... Uh, as I just said this morning, um, strangers are friends we just haven't met yet. So, thank you. The service, I'm going to ask that uh, they join me at the back of the church so you, as you leave, uh, you can extend to them the, uh, the right hand of fellowship. Um, we have special music. I think now. We do. <laughs> yes, there they sit. You, you know, you're in the right pew, too. <laughs> we were just talking about the day when all you guys kind of sat somewhere different, and well, I didn't know it, and, and I didn't know it, and um, that, see, this would have thrown me off completely if you guys would have been like sitting over here, but anyway, thank you. Sorrow, I have known pain. 
but there's one thing that I'll cling to. You are faithful, Jesus, you're true. When hope is lost, I'll call you Savior. When pain surrounds, I'll call you John and Amanda. A couple of things to pray for um, this week. I uh, just learned that uh, Sandy Snyder is going to be having hip surgery uh, this, not this Monday, but next Monday, correct? Yes, so uh, keep Sandy in your uh, prayers. Um, also, uh, John Hain had passed away this past week. Uh, we've been praying for John, but on Friday the Lord uh, called him home. I believe the funeral is on Thursday at the Matamoros Church at 11 o'clock in the morning. So please keep uh, Pearl and family in prayer on, uh, on Thursday. There's also a lady, her and her husband, who used to attend the church years ago, Larry and Pat Hollinger. Uh, you might remember that couple. Um, I learned as well just yesterday that Pat had passed away uh, this past Thursday. Uh, now, that funeral will be out of town. They moved away from Halifax, but um, just to let you know that um, she did pass away. I had a chance to get in to see a couple of the shut-ins this week, and uh, I just want to remind you, don't stop praying for them. Um, those that can't come, those that can't attend, uh, we need to keep them uh, before the Lord in our prayers. And so, Father, as we bow before you this morning, we are thankful that we can do just that, that, Father, uh, you are God who uh, is always there for us and with us, a God who listens, a God who answers prayer. Father, we are thankful that you have allowed us to come together this morning. This is a special time in the life of the church when we all come together. Lord, 
we are the church, we're the body of Christ. Father, we thank you for Jeff and Rhonda. We pray that, Lord, you might use them here at Word of Life Chapel. We're thankful, Lord, for their commitment to us and our commitment to them as well. Father, we think of Sandy as she's going in for this surgery in another week. We pray that, Lord, things would go extremely well and uh, they would be able to correct this problem. We think of the passing of John into your presence. Uh, Father, we know that uh, it is appointed unto a man once to die. And so, Father, he had an appointment with you. And, but we pray for Pearl, Lord, having lost a husband now. May the comfort that only you are able to give, may that it surround her. Father, we do pray for um, those like Leonard Roadcap and Joanne. We think of Ada Sheffhauser as well. Uh, Father, it was good to see Jean and Joyce last week, but uh, Father, it's hard for them to get out as well. So we, we commit these to you, Lord. Uh, these, Lord, who would uh, choose to be here, but Father, because of um, physical problems and issues, Lord, they can't be with us. But uh, Father, we miss each one, and we pray for each one, that Lord, you might be right there where they are, and help them to sense that, that you are there with them this morning. Maybe they can't be here with us, but Father, you're still with them. And so I pray this morning they might uh, sense the presence of your spirit and your overwhelming love. Uh, shower them with that love. Father, we thank you again for our time here this morning. Uh, Father, we're here as your body because we are your children. And Father, we have trusted in your son. And we thank you, Father, for his finished work. That, Father, he laid down his life on behalf of us. And he shed his blood that we might have eternal life. And as we were reminded in uh, the book of Romans, Lord, uh, it, is, it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. It wasn't when we were righteous. It wasn't when we were good. It wasn't when, Lord, we were, uh, we, we, uh, were, were um, in a position to, uh, to deserve uh, your love and your mercy and your grace. But, Father, it was when we were sinners that you died for us. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for your great love, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Father, in that we rejoice because, Lord, it brings us into your family. I pray, Lord, if there is someone who is, is here this morning has never made that commitment to you, never trusted Jesus, that today might be that day when they change from darkness to light. So again, Father, we thank you for bringing us together. You're a wonderful and awesome and sovereign God. As we'll see once again, Lord, as we conclude this series in the book of Job, we thank you that you are a God who is in complete control of every event and experience in life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, would you stand with us as we uh, worship the Lord together today? Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. So highly exalted 
Life is a test and a trust. Job was tested in so many ways, but he trusted God. Job was a man of great perseverance. Oh, he had a few ups. He had a few downs. There were times when he questioned God called God his enemy, told God he was wrong. But in the long run, Job handled tragedy really well. You know, the way we handle the bad stuff in life is important. And Job has set an example for all of us it's in James chapter 5, where we read of Job and his perseverance. We read these words. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. Now you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I know you've often heard it said, of, uh, and people speak of Job's patience. But the word really in this verse is not patience, but perseverance. There were times when Job wasn't very patient. There were times when Job wasn't patient with his friends or with God. But what Job had, one of his virtues, was he was a man of perseverance or endurance. He was a man who never quit. He stayed tough. And that's the example we see in Job. In the last chapters of the book of Job's, Job, God asked Job questions. Questions like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? 
telling me I'm wrong, telling me I am unfair and unjust. And Job responds to God's questions. God, you can do all things, and no plan of yours can ever be thwarted. And God brings Job to humility. Remember we spoke about one of Job's underlying sins of pride. Proud of his innocence, proud of his sinlessness, proud of his perfection. And God had to deal with Job in that area. And God humbles Job. And Job, he owns up to his wrong. The wrong views regarding his thoughts, his, his judgments. At times he spoke foolishly and irreverently about God himself. But Job is brought to his knees. Lisa Miller, she um, texted me this week and she said, did you see the Daily Bread on Wednesday? I don't know how many of you read the Daily Bread. Uh, I have to claim that I'm not a uh, one of the ones who, who reads these daily. But I went to Wednesday, and this is what it says. Very interesting. It's entitled, The Lord Speaks. We can find nearly every argument in the book of Job about why there is pain in this world. But the arguing never seems to help Job much. His is a crisis of relationship more than a crisis of doubt. Can he trust God? Can he trust God? Job wants one thing above all else, an appearance by the one person who can explain his miserable fate. Remember, we mentioned that often. Job always wanted an audience with God. If I could just plead my case before God. Well, finally, he meets God face to face. Eventually, Job gets his wish, and God shows up in person. He times his entrance with perfect irony, just as Job's friend Elihu is expounding on why Job has no right to expect a visit from God. No one, not Job, nor any of his friends, is prepared for what God has to say. Job has saved up a lot of long questions. But God begins, brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. God brushes aside 35 chapters worth of debates on the problem of pain. And God plunges into a majestic poem on the wonders of the natural world. Remember that sermon? When God asked those questions, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? So, do you understand how to make a snowflake? Do you know where lightning is dispensed? And what about these large mammals, the behemoth and the leviathan? Who would dare to stir up these terrifying creatures? And yet you, Job, dare to stir me up by questioning my justice? And God's speech, I go on to read, it defines this vast difference between the God of all creation and one puny man like Job. God's presence spectacularly answers Job's biggest question. Is anybody out there? God, are you out there? Do you really care about me, God? Do you know what I'm going through? And Job can only respond, surely, I spoke of things I did not understand, things that were too wonderful for me to know. The book of Job is about a test. And it's about a trust. 
And Job, he now acknowledges his guilt before God. He was ignorant of the divine ways, how God does things. That God does things beyond our understanding, too wonderful for us to know. Job believed he was right and God was wrong. But all that changes now because Job saw God. You know, the book of Isaiah speaks of God being the potter and we are the clay. We read in the book of Isaiah, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. The clay, it starts out as just an ugly lump. But the pottery begins to work expertly, working with this clay, turning it, molding it, squeezing it, sometimes with a firm hand, sometimes with a gentle hand. Sometimes he uses his whole hand. At other times, it's just a finger. But he knows the potential of that lump of clay. And he sees what it can become. Listen, as long as it stays on the potter's wheel. Job never left the potter's wheel. Job was a man of perseverance. Job was a man who never quit. That's why Job is an example for all of us. In the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, we must hang tough. The NIV Study Bible says, God, he never allows us to suffer for no reason, even though the reason may be hidden in the mystery of his divine purpose. Never for us to know, even in this life, But we must trust God as one who always, always does right. So this morning we look at the great reversal in Job's life. This great change that takes place or this restoration, if you will. I invite you once again to turn to the book of Job. Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42, the last chapter in this wonderful book. And we read these words in verses 5 and 6. Job 42, 5. My ears, Job says, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Here we read of Job's great transformation. Job has now seen the Almighty God. And with everyone who sees God, such as Isaiah in the Old Testament, you begin to see yourself more clearly. Job sees himself as a despised man. He's saying, I am humbled. I am undone. I am am shattered. I abhor myself. And added to that, he speaks of repentance. Job is a broken and a changed man. Now you contrast, I am despised with Job's words to his friends, where he said things like, I am innocent. I am perfect. I am a good man. Now I am despised. And I repent in dust and ashes. No longer is he asking the question, why? But who am I? to be questioning and contending with an almighty God. Before Job saw God in this new way, he esteemed himself highly. 
He was proud of himself. You know, the Bible says that in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But now Job has seen God. And now he begins to see himself more clearly. And it drives him to the place of repentance. True repentance, what is that? What does that mean when we speak of repentance? The simple definition is to be changed. Repentance is a conviction of sin. But it's more than that. Repentance is godly sorrow. Knowing that you have offended a holy God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we read these words. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. The gospel is good news. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died on a cross and shed his blood so that we might have eternal life. The bad news is, is that we have sinned against the holy God. And we are all in need of salvation. And oftentimes what drives us to salvation is the sense of having sinned against a holy God. Having violated his law. Having fallen short of his glory. Godly sorrow brings repentance that then leads to salvation. The Bible says we turn from sin to God. Job repents in dust and ashes. He has a change of mind, a whole complete change of attitude about God and who he is. Up to this point, he says, my ears, I've heard about God. But now I've seen God. Now I've heard the very voice of God. And his mind changes. His attitude changes. Oh, he's still in the midst of suffering. He's still taking those sharp pieces of pottery and scraping his arm for relief. He's still mourning the loss of ten children. That hasn't ended yet. It will but not yet. But now he repents. And he changes his feelings and attitudes and mind about God. Have you ever noticed that it's easier to change your attitude than it is to change your circumstances? Sometimes we have no control over painful circumstances. And often the only thing we have the power to change is our attitude toward unpleasant circumstances. Job, his whole way of thinking at this point is beginning to change. But notice the second point. Look at verse 7. It says, after the Lord had said these things, he said to Eliphaz, the Timonite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job, he will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Here we find Job was vindicated. Job was vindicated. Job described those three friends as miserable comforters. And that's exactly what they were. They started off well when they grieved and mourned and sat in silence. But when they started opening their mouths, they started accusing. They started condemning. They called Job a wicked man. A man who deserved what he was getting. But now, at the end of the story, God vindicates Job right before his friends. God rebukes them. And God defends his servant Job. God was humbling 
these three friends, as he commands them to go to Job, take sacrifices to Job, and ask Job to pray for you. If you counted in this text the words, my servant, uh, you would have counted four times that God refers to Job as his servant. And when you're the servant of God's, God is your defender. God came to defend Job and say, Job, you are right and they were wrong. For a long time, Job, he defended himself. He argued with his three friends. And while he was arguing and he was busy defending himself, God didn't come to defend him. But when Job finally gave up, he stopped talking and he started repenting. That's when God stepped in and God began to defend him. You know, the Bible says that Jesus, uh, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. When Jesus ascended and sat there at God's right hand, it wasn't because he needed to take a break. Did you know that Jesus is your defender that the Bible says that Jesus is our advocate? Do I have that verse or don't I on this screen? There it is. In 1 John chapter 2, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. And I have in parenthesis, or defender with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Do you know that Jesus, as he sits there at the right hand of God the Father, he is defending you. He is your advocate. He is interceding on your behalf. You say, well, why does he have to do that? Well, let me explain. You sin. Satan, the accuser of the brethren, comes before God and says, look down here. Look at that man who claims to be your child. Look at what he's doing. Look at her over there, this lady that claims to be a child of God and she's gossiping all the time. And Satan, the accuser of the brother, comes before God and Jesus, sitting on the right hand of God, says, yes, that's true, but my blood has cleansed them from all unrighteousness. Jesus is our defender. He's our advocate. Jesus intercedes for us, sitting there at the right hand of God the Father. Does Satan not come before God and accuse Job of sin? Of course he did, right? What does Satan say to God? Well, Job, he only loves you and worships you because of all that you've given to him. He will curse you to your face if you just take all this away. Satan is the accuser. God is our defender. The third thing I see in these closing verses is found in verse 9. It says, So Eliphaz the Timite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namanite, they did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. God said to these three friends, you go to Job, take your sacrifices and ask Job to pray for you. Job prays for them, and here it says that God accepted Job's prayer. I see this as a final test in Job's life. You say, where is there a test in this? Job and these friends have been arguing. They have been debating, probably for weeks, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. We might say Job almost viewed these three as his enemies. 
for the things they said about him and to him. And so the question is, will Job pray for them? Or will he forgive them? Or is Job going to vent his hostility and resentment for these men? You know, I think most of us, maybe some of us, maybe none of us, but I think what I would have done if I'd have been here that day and I was Job, I'd have looked at these friends and say, I told you you were wrong. I told you you were wrong. Look, God even comes to my defense and says, I'm right and you're wrong. Now God says, you pray for them, Job. Job, you pray for them. And Job is being asked to do what Jesus said to his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44. Jesus said, but I tell you, you love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you. This was a test for Job. Would he really forgive them? Would he really get down on his knees and pray for these who have argued with him, called him wrong, said he, is, he deserves everything he's getting? But he passes the test. Job forgives and Job prays, and it says the Lord accepts Job's prayer. God put Job to one last test. He laid down the weapons of revenge and he prayed for those who were persecuting him. And the Lord accepts his prayer. You know, sometimes I think we hold grudges. Have you ever held a grudge? Has someone ever wronged you and you sought revenge? You said, I will get even. Have you ever harbored bitterness in your heart? against another person? You know what that does? You think it hurts them, don't you? <laughs> you think if you can just grit your teeth and feel that bitterness and start to plan ways how you can get even, that somehow you're hurting them. The only person you hurt is yourself. The only person you hurt is yourself because you now are enslaved. You are controlled by that other person. Job, cho Job chose to forgive and to pray. Have you ever tried praying for someone who has wronged you? Have you ever come before God and prayed for someone who has really hurt you? You know, it's one thing to forgive. I think sometimes it's even harder to pray for someone who has done you wrong. And yet, isn't that what Jesus said to the disciples? Love your enemies, and you pray for those who persecute you. At times, it becomes a tremendous turning point in a person's life when they start praying for someone. It did for Job. I think this was one of the great, great turning points in the life of Job when he started praying for those three who became his enemy. Because if you look at verse 10, it says this, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. Do you see that? That little word after, that's huge. After he prayed for his friends, after he forgave his friends, it says the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. And all his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before, they came. They ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Then the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. 
He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father was and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. And after this, Job lived to be 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man and full of years. Job was greatly, greatly blessed. And it happened after the repentance. It happened after the forgiveness. It happened after his prayer. It's then that God restored and gave him, the Bible says, even twice as much, according to verse 10. Twice as much as he had before. So he got double the wealth. Twice as much livestock. If you were to compare these verses with the earlier chapters, twice as much livestock. The family and friends, they brought him silver. They brought him gold. God doubled his children. Now, if you recall the story in the earlier chapters, you say, wait a minute. He didn't really double the children. There's ten. He had ten before. I would expect twenty children. But he didn't really lose the first ten, did he? They're somewhere in heaven. Job will be united, so he really has those ten. You know, we think sometimes when we lose a loved one, they're not lost, right? I mean, if they know the Lord, they're not lost. We know they're in heaven in the very presence of God himself. And so I say, yeah, 10 is uh, in addition to the previous 10, which equals 20. I'm also going to say and suggest that God doubled his years of life. I, I don't know that I can prove this, but it does say that he lived to be 140. I'm thinking maybe he was 70 when you know, all this trouble started and he doubled his life to 140. Uh, again, maybe, maybe not. It kind of sounds good, doesn't it? The point in these closing verses is God blessed Job beyond measure. God restored Job. He restored his wealth. He restored his family. He restored his health. All of those things God did. Again, we often hear of people speaking of the patience of Job. Uh, cross that word off and add perseverance. Job was a man who persevered. He was a man who endured. He was a man, according to James chapter 5, we can look at that once again. He was a man who just never quit. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and you've seen what the Lord has finally brought about. Now you have, in these closing uh, verses, now you have seen what the Lord has brought about, gave him twice as much, and blessed him beyond measure. But it goes on to say the Lord is full of compassion and full of mercy. You know, not only did Job persevere, but God was quite long-suffering with Job, as he always is. God is merciful, not always giving us what we deserve. But perseverance was one of the great virtues of this man called Job. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, Don't be weary in well-doing, because in due season you will reap if you faint not. Don't be weary in doing good, 
Because in due season, at that proper time, if you don't faint, if you hang tough, if you persevere, you will reap. Job was a man of perseverance. Oh, did he not question God? Yes, he did. Did he call God his enemy? He sure did. Did he think God to be unfair? You bet. Did he believe that God was wrong and he was right? Sure. Maybe there were times when Job thought God was far from him. The God, he just didn't care. Or maybe he doesn't know. Remember in the Daily Bread, it said God, he wanted an audience with God. He wanted to know that there's somebody out there that knows what I'm going through. I want to know that God is out there. I want to know that he cares about me. And he knows my experiences. Well, the truth of the matter is, God was always with Job. Always with Job. God was always on the side of Job. Always in his corner. He always loved Job. And cared for Job. Job was his child. Job was his servant. And Job was tested. But Job trusted God. And he persevered. He toughed it out. And he reaped a great, great harvest. As you know, we count blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. And you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. It's the Lord who is full of compassion and mercy. And so before us is an example. An example of one who persevered to the end. A man who God blessed richly. Father, in those days of testing, in those days of trials, in those days of great trouble, may we as Job trust you. Father, help us not to become weary in doing good. Help us to understand that, Lord, someday, if we persevere, as we, if, we, if we do not faint or quit, Lord, we will reap a great reward. It's not always in this life, but Lord, you always know what we have done and what we deserve. Maybe, Lord, we have to wait, but give us the perseverance of this man, Job, and help us to know that, Lord, in the midst of the struggles and trials, that you do love us, that you do care for us that you're always on our side and in our corner. I pray, Lord, for those this morning right here who are going through things that, Father, no one should. Help them to recognize, Lord, you do what's right. You love them. You care for them. And, Lord, you'll always be there for them. Give them strength. Give each one perseverance. Help us, Lord, in the midst of the storms. In Jesus' name, amen. Hymn number 421, hymn number 421. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you, God. He will take care of each of you. Let's stand together and we'll sing this and be dismissed. Be not dismayed, whatever be time, God will take care of you. Neath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day. Or 
care of you. God will take care of you. Through days of toil when art doth fail, God will take care of you. Dangers, fears, your path assail. God will take care of you. God will take care through every day or all the way. He will care of you. God will take care of you. All you may need, He will provide, will take care of you. Nothing you ask will be denied. God will take care of you. <laughs> will take care of you. <clears throat> take care of you. God will take care. what may be the test <coughs> weary one upon his breast will take care of you God will take care through every day for all the never leave you, nor ever forsake you. Father, we thank you for this wonderful promise that is ours. In Jesus' name.